This is Paul Schneiderman today in the 98th edition of Sports Untold on Rainier Avenue Radio. My show was formerly told Sports and Stuff, but we're doing a little, I guess, rebranding right now. Uh, my guest today in the 98th edition, very special guest, is former University of Washington assistant football coach and former Boise State head coach, Skip Hall. Coach Hall has a new book out that uh, we're going to discuss today. I had a chance to read most of it this week. The book is entitled Coach Him Up, The Skip Hall Story. Uh, I recommend that people go to coachmeupbook.com to um, learn more about Coach Hall's book and, and uh, go to Amazon. And it's been fun. It's fun to have you on, Coach. I mentioned to you that uh, your son, Chris, was in my college fraternity, and it's been a pleasure to reconnect with Chris via message this week. And um, I appreciate you coming on my show, Sports Untold. Well, Paul, it's it's a pleasure. Always good to connect with a with a husky, and uh, yeah, the the actual uh, site that people can go to is Coach M, Coach E M Up Book dot com. That that goes right into the website that you can order the book uh, or Amazon. They can order the book, but Coach Em Up Book dot com is how you can get connected and. Yeah, let's let's talk some some uh, football. Let's talk about the book uh, wherever you want to go. Oh, thank you, Coach. And I want to share a couple uh, things with you. So, um, Jamie Rockwell, my, our mutual yes. friend, got me connected, and uh, yeah. his late father, Greg Rockwell, I understand, was a friend of yours. Greg was quite a guy, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Yeah, very good friend, very loyal friend. Uh, knew him for many many years, and uh, was saddened when he passed away suddenly at, at the Washington Stanford game of all places. That's right. I really enjoyed Greg's company and a couple other little uh, connections we have. I attended View Ridge Elementary School, as did my mother and aunts. I believe my mom was at View Ridge when you were there. And um, another little thing I want to share with you, I have a niece named Cassidy. You have a Cassidy? Niece? I, have a, I have a niece named Cassidy. So I wanted to share that with you. So Wow, absolutely. Well, that's all good. That's all good. Good. Well, Coach, um, I want to ask you, uh, start with this question, and you are an inductee in the American Football Coaches Foundation Wall of Influence, and let me ask you a hypothetical question. Um, if this association or another Hall of Fame association asked you to select a college university uniform to wear to represent yourself in the association of the hall of fame i'm gonna put you on the spot coach would you pick yeah. the uw uh concordia i believe college reattended kent state boise state missouri if you had to pick one college or university to represent you which one would it be well this is going to be easy i i just love the uniforms that we wore at washington the gold pants the purple jerseys the gold helmet yeah yeah, I, I think that's a classy look. Uh, Missouri would be a, in second place probably, but uh, the Huskies uniform back in the day was was my favorite. You would pick you would pick the Huskies. Would that be because of the uniform colors, or because you feel the greatest connection of all the schools you've attended and worked at at the University of Washington? Both, 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 both. Yeah, I love the. I love the look of the purple on the gold. And, uh, you know, somebody asked Coach James, Don James, one time, you know, uh, why don't you wear this or why don't you wear that? You know, different colors, different combinations. He said, look, our school colors are purple and gold. That's what we're going to wear. Gotcha. Well, your, your, your connection, affiliation, University of Washington, Coach, certainly comes out and you answer that question for sure. 
Um, I, like I mentioned to you a couple of times, I, I read most of your book yesterday, really enjoyed it. And uh, it, it's, a, it's a really a readable book about your career and the sport of football and, you know, some things you've gone through. But I want to ask you something. Was this book in the works for a long time or was it more in recent years you decided to write the book? Well, the book was in my head for 20 years and <laughs> the pandemic was the trigger. When the pandemic hit, you know, we really couldn't go anywhere, couldn't do much of anything. So Scal at Aloha Publishing, they're the publisher of the book. She had been after me for nearly 20 years to put, put this in writing. And she said, I'm ready. You know, whenever you are, I'm ready to go. So when the pandemic hit, it was time to do it. And uh, it worked out beautifully. And, uh, you know, the forward of the book is by Nick Saban. I know it. Name recognizable by most football fans. And Chris Peterson has also done an endorsement for the book. So a couple of good names there behind it. No doubt about it. I'm going to ask you about, about Saban in particular in a couple of minutes. And, you know, there, there's a, all sorts of stuff in your book that I, I want to talk to you about. I, I, when I have an author on coach, I don't like to give away the book too much. So please mm -hmm. bear with me. I don't want to give away too much, but I do want to ask you. Well, about yeah. some parts of your of your book and an episode in your career that really interests me was your were your years at Kent State when you were yeah. one of Don James's assistants at Kent State and for the listeners yeah. in, I believe 1970 there was a major shooting involving the Vietnam War protests at Kent State so here's my question for you coach how did you and Don James and the staff there manage to have a winning pretty viable program so closely the aftermath of the horrible Kent State um, incident. Tell us about that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, we went in in 1970, uh, just a few months after the National Guard shot and killed four students uh, on campus. And it was it was a tra tragic time for many, many people. The nation was up in arms, uh, of course, besides just Kent State. But what we did is focused on recruiting. We knew that we had to rebuild the program and we needed to start with recruiting. And in Coach James, uh, Don James' uh, playbook on recruiting, it's the evaluation process that's most important. So we spent a lot of time evaluating talent, maybe look at 100 players and recruit maybe 10. I mean, it was, it was that kind of a deal. So we recruited hard. We recruited well. The first year now, we, we, uh, we didn't have a whole bunch to, to pick from as far as who was going to be a good player yet, but uh, played a lot of freshmen. But we, we were last in the Mid-American Conference our first year, 1971. The next year, we won the championship and beat uh, or played uh, Tampa in, in the uh, Tangerine Bowl. So we were able, to, through recruiting, to turn that program around quickly. And that's, that's the key. What, what did you and Coach James and the others in the Kent State football program during those years, what did you guys do to sort of, I guess, rebrand Kent State in some ways? Tell us about that. Well, you know, when you go into a new program, uh, of course, that was, this was my first full-time job. I'd been a graduate assistant at Colorado along with Coach James, who'd been an assistant, but all of us were excited. I mean, <laughs> we didn't care where it was, what it was. We were excited, and we wanted to get out and get the best talent we could and build a program as fast as we could. So everything, like I say, started off, the focus was on recruiting, getting the players, the kind of players, the culture that we wanted to develop, 
getting the talent in there. And, and uh, yeah, that was that was our focus. And, and man, we I'll tell you, we we went after it pretty hard. And you guys did a solid job under some challenging circumstances there. So I, I that part of your career interests me. Coach, yeah. um, there's a story in your book and where you where you kind of espouse your coach him up philosophy. And there was a player who was being treated harshly. And you intervened, not approving of the way the player was treated by, I believe, somebody at one of the schools you, you coached at. Um, feel free to share that incident with us. But, Coach, what do you say to coaches and educators and employers and people who take more of a Bobby Knight kind of approach, more of an in-your-face mm-hmm. approach? What, what's your response to people that think you get more out of staff yeah. and players with more of an in-your-face approach? Yeah, well, my response is coach them up, not down. Don't. Don't beat them down. Don't degrade them. Don't, you know, don't embarrass them. And that's the story that, that was told to me by a former player. When I went to Missouri as a defensive coordinator, I was there only about two weeks. And this young man came to my door and asked if he could speak with me. And I said, sure, come on in, sit down. He said, I wouldn't remember him. And I didn't. But he said, 10 years ago, we were together at the University of Washington. And, and I was a walk-on player. And you were one of the assistants speaking with me. And he, he began to tell me this story. He said, one day of practice, I was really messing up. I was stumbling and bumbling and fumbling. And the young coach that was working with me uh, was all over me, yelling at me, screaming at me, cursing at me, embarrassing me in front of my peers. And he said that I walked over, got between the two of them, and he expected me to turn to him and, and reprimand him. But he said, I turned to the young coach and said five words forever uh, are ingrained in this young man's memory. He said, the five words were coach him up, not down. And that, that message is what the whole book is, is all about. You know, how the power of influence and encouragement changes lives. And he took that from that day on the practice field. He became a pastor in a small Missouri town. He'd driven over an hour to come in and tell me this story and to thank me uh, for it. And, uh, and that was, that was a highlight. I walked a little taller that day. Oh, I bet. And as you know, the coach him up is the title of your, of your book. Have you, have you had over the years, like when you were an assistant coach and a head coach, did you sometimes have to take players or coaches aside and say, look, let's be a little kinder in how we, we go about this problem or this player that maybe not be performing as well did you have to sometimes take other people aside at times yeah yeah you, you need to do that at times um and i always tried to do it privately uh that one story i told you was an exception i did it publicly in front of everybody but the message resounded with with everyone that you know we need to build people up now this is not just true in football coaching this is true in life it's true in the family it's true in business we need to build people up, not tear them down. Coach them up. I agree. We have similar philosophies, Coach. This is Paul Schneiderman, host of Sports Untold on Rainier Avenue Radio with uh, the 98th edition with uh, retired coach Skip Hall, author of Coach Him Up, the Skip Hall story, having a fun discussion. You know, Coach, a couple of minutes ago, you mentioned the late, great Don James. Uh, what, what made him so great? Well, Don was, uh, he was small in stature but he was big in presence. Um, Don had a, had a way about him. He didn't have to yell or scream or holler. He would give you the look. You know, if you got the look, why well, you knew that hey, things need to change. You need to shape up. And, 
And, uh, but he was so organized, organization, discipline, uh, of course, the recruiting philosophy and how we went about that. I mean, so many things that go into being a successful person in business or coaching or whatever it may be. And so, yeah. And then the other thing is he hired great assistants uh, to come into the program. You know, the Jim Mora went on to become a head coach in the NFL and, and his son, Jim Moore Jr. also went on to become a head coach in the NFL. You know, he hired great people and, and uh, the head coaches, he can only do so much. But the people around him, that's what makes the program go. And he had the ability to, to know the kind of coach that he wanted uh, alongside him. But he also knew what kind of player, what kind of a culture we wanted to build in Washington. And yeah, it, it, was, it was an exceptional time. I was with Don James for 18 years at three different universities, 12 years uh, with the Huskies. But uh, I learned something new every day from him. You're like Coach James's Secretary of State or Secretary of Treasury, right, Coach? Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah You're like a cabinet member of Don James. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. You know, I've had Greg Lewis on my show a few times. Greg's a personal yeah. friend of mine. And, and Greg kind of a great guy. He, he kind of indicated in one story kind of similar to you. Greg was, was late at one practice or slept in at one practice. And Greg could tell the story better than I can. But he said... Coach James barely said anything, but the look he had at Greg was, let's not let this happen again. He said, Don James has had a look, you know, let's not let this happen again kind of look. You know, That's, that, that is so true. And I mean, being punctual, being on time. I mean, if you were five minutes early, you were almost late. And, and I remember one time uh, we were traveling to L.A. or one of the U.S., either USC, UCLA, and the bus left from the university campus at eight o'clock so i don would sit on one side of the bus and i'm on the other side and and at, he, I, saw, I saw him looking at his watch and when it hit exactly eight o'clock he said driver shut the door and two or three players came running up just a few seconds late and banging on the door coach james said driver don't open that door he said let's go and that's the kind of mentality that that program came to understand is that this is important. The little things make the, the big difference. And uh, that was Don James. You know, uh, Coach uh, Lucius Tenebris, my, my assistant recording engineer today, I, I, I was telling him and Don James story in your book right before this interview started. Right? Apparently when Don recruited you to go with him to a new position, maybe the University of Washington, I remember, and you asked him, well, well, Coach, when do I report? And Don James yeah. said, yesterday. That's it. That was the timetable yesterday. I remember, I can still remember that. That was way back, way back in the in 1970. And I asked him that question and he said yesterday. Yesterday. Never forget that. Um, another line Don James had in your book that, that hit me is his line, give credit and take blame. Can you yes. give us a few examples when Don James practiced that philosophy? Yeah. Give credit and take blame. Yes, at, at the top of every game plan, no matter who we were playing that day, it had the offensive schemes, the defensive call, whatever. But at the top of that program or that uh, game plan, it said exactly that. Give credit, take blame. And it shows you the humbleness of the man. I mean, he, he would not, uh, you know, attack anybody or, or 
make somebody look bad. He always wanted to take the blame and he wanted to give credit, give credit to either our people or give credit to the other team. But I think that defines the man. He was humble. What, he, didn't what, like the he didn't like the limelight. He he wanted to just, you know, be a part of the program. He was a team guy. Everything we did was a team deal. A lot of life lessons there, Coach. A lot of life lessons. Paul Schneiderman, again, on uh, Sports Untold, the 88th edition with uh, retired coach Skip Hall. Coach, you mentioned earlier that uh, the great Nick Saban wrote the forward to your uh, terrific new book. And uh, I'm just a casual fan. I don't know all the, the football nuances. But what, what has Nick Saban done that's made him one of the most successful coaches in American sports history? Well, number one, he spent four years with Coach Don James. Um, you know, I was a brand new coach. Nick was a player at Kent State at the time. He was uh, going into his junior year. He was he was not big. He was not fast, but he was very competitive. And he wouldn't, uh, I mean, he didn't want mistakes on his part or anybody else's part. He was precise. And he took what he learned from Don James and has molded that along with his own personal philosophies into the greatest program in America today. You know, that's Nick Saban. You have a lot of admiration for Coach Saban, I can tell. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. We worked together uh, for two years, uh, well, two years as a player, and then two years as, as an assistant coach. He was a, he was a coach with us at Kent State for two years, and we had some pretty other pretty good people jack lambert was one of them and jack played with the steelers and super bowls and all that kind of stuff but uh, but nick was nick was the uh, was the guy i mean he he had the leadership he had the motivation he had the, you know all the things that go into becoming a great leader now nick could have probably gone into business and been the same type of a leader but fortunately for us he chose to be a coach and uh, the rest is history, as they say. Is, is Saban a really good X's and O's guy, too? Yeah, he knows his stuff. Uh, but he's more of a CEO than anything. You know, he's like Coach James. Uh, people may not remember this, but when Coach James was at, at Washington, he had a tower. Tower on the 50-yard line. Remember? Up in that tower, and, and he could see the whole field. People say, well, what? why, why is he going up in a tower? Well, because he could see all the drills, all the things going on, evaluate all the stuff, the coaches, the players, everybody. And he'd write meticulous notes. And then the next morning at our staff meeting, well, he'd go over those notes. So here's the thing about Coach James. Coach James coached the coaches and the coaches coached the players. That was the success factor. That was our secret sauce. I've heard that philosophy about Don James. Let me ask you something, Coach. Can can a football head coach be not a great X's and O's person, but still be a great head coach? I think so. I think so. I mean, you got to know a certain amount of X's and O's for sure. But uh, I think where the where the chemistry, where the rubber meets the road as a head coach is <laughs> is being able to to motivate the staff, motivate the players, keep everybody working toward the common goal. And that's exactly what he did. He, he was the mastermind of the whole thing. He saw the big picture and, and he pointed out even the little things, right? We, we were meticulous at correcting little things. 
Coach, I want to talk to you a little more about your own career. And, and there was an, an episode in your book that, that interests me. I like to get some more, your, your feedback more about it. And as I re- was reading your book, I was thinking about halfway into it. Um, I wonder why Skip Hall was never a Pac-10 or a Pac-12 head coach. You, you know the conference, you're personal, you have the ingredients, you know football. And you interviewed Oregon State once. And I want to hear you, I wanted to hear you articulate it more, but it looked like you were about to be offered the job at Oregon State. Yes. But you gave an answer about your where your your faith, where you feel yeah. that maybe the interviewers um it didn't connect so well with the interviewers. I want you to share about that. Um, do you think it was your faith that that was the stigma? Or do you think they maybe had a worry you weren't going to stay that long or a combination of both? Tell us more about that episode, Coach. It may have been a combination, but yeah, it, it got down to the last day. We'd been at Oregon State. And the first thing when they called me and said, we want you to come down and interview, I said, okay, on one condition. They said, what's that? I, I want to bring my wife because we're a team. Well, that kind of blew them out of the water a little bit, but we were a team. So we went down there and for two days, everything was just rosy. I mean, they, I had recruited the state of Oregon and stolen a lot of their really great players to come to Washington. And so they, they knew that. And, and, um, but everything was going so well until the last day. And then I can still remember to this day, what that gentleman said to me, question, they were all asking a question going around the tables. And everything was just snap, snap, snap. Everything was going great until we got to this guy. And he said to me, he said, Coach Hall, what's the most important thing in your life? And in five years, where do you want to be? What do you think about that? How are you going to answer that question? Well, a year earlier, I would have answered it that, you know, we're uh, we're going to work hard. We're going to go to the Rose Bowl. We're going to win championships in five years. You know, that's where I want to be. Well, that would have done it. No question. I was told later that this answer I'm about to tell you was deciding factor, but that's not what I said. What I said was because I had become a Christian a year before and I told the truth. I said, the most important thing in my life is my faith and wherever God wants me to be in five years, that's where I'll be. Well, I could almost hear the wheels going around in these people's heads. They're thinking, oh, we've got us a religious fanatic here, which was not the case at all. But yet they were fearful of that factor, I think. And that cost me that job, which in hindsight, it's a good thing I didn't get it because that was a tough situation. And I went through a similar thing at University of Minnesota a few years later. Um, Same kind of scenario. And again, when they really pressed me on some issues and I gave them the, the truth, why that's probably not what they wanted to hear. But yet I knew who who I was and I knew what what I stood for. And that was the key for me. You know, there's a lot of lessons coach in hearing what you hearing, what you just shared and in reading your book about that Oregon state episode, plus the Minnesota episode you just shared is that it kind of goes to show, and this isn't always very fair, the more honest someone is, the more trouble they can be in at times. So. Well, yeah, that's, you know what, that's so true. And especially when, when people get interviewed, they want to give the so-called right answer. And, uh, but that's not what I was led to do. So I think sometimes honesty is the, is, is the way to go. And even though it may cost you a job, maybe that wasn't the right situation. 
And that's how you look at the, the Oregon State Minnesota jobs not working out. That was probably for the best. Is that how you look at look at it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. 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 yeah I, I was protected in those situations. And obviously we got the job at Boise State and we had six great years and and uh, some great times and, and, and hired, you know, basically young coaches that had never been full-time assistants. Uh, Chuck Bagano later went on to become the head coach of the of Indianapolis Colts and Jim Zorn, you know, the Seattle boys, Seattle Seahawks. And he was my quarterback coach and went on to become the head coach of the Washington Redskins at the time. So, yeah, you know, the, the relationships that you develop in coaching last a lifetime. I'm still in touch, not only with coaches, but players. I still am in touch with players from Kent State going way back, even in high school where I coached. Uh, for three years in Minnesota, still in touch with a lot of those players. And, and, and that's really the key. You know, relationships are more important than success. I mean, I, I really believe that. Good lessons. Coach, you know, you had a good six-year run at Boise State. And, and can you share like a, a memory or two that really stands out in your six-year run at Boise State? Yeah, yeah. Well, let's see. After the fourth year, we had been building our way up fourth year um, we made it we won two playoff games we were in the national semifinals and we're if we won the game we'd be on to the national championship game that was one double a back in those days which was just you know a notch below the 1a schools but uh, we played reno uh, nevada whom we had beaten earlier in the season um, but the game for some reason they gave it to Nevada at Reno, we were the visiting team, they were the home team, and this thing went on forever. It seemed like a lifetime, and we lost in triple overtime. It was a heartbreaker. Wow, triple overtime. Um, you retired from coaching at the relatively young age of 53, entered the business world. Is there any side of you, coach, that wishes you, you uh, stayed in uh, college football for a few more years, or do you think you got out at the right time? No, I think I think we got out at the right time. Um, coaching is a young man's game, and especially the recruiting aspect of it, because it is a grind. And you're on the phone. You're on nowadays. They got all this texting stuff going on and Twitter, and you know it just it occupies your being, your your whole being. And it's great when you're young, but as you get a little more mature and you start thinking about what do you want to do for the rest of your life. One thing I didn't want to do is become a journeyman coach, you know, go from this school to this school to that school. And yeah, we had some other head coaching opportunities along the way too. But, but again, I, I don't think it was the right fit. And uh, what I wanted to do at the end of the 30 years of college coaching was to be able to transfer my skill set in, in, uh, in recruiting, coaching, and team building into the business arena which I did with Aflac and then eventually with Principal Financial Group too. But uh, they're just starving for people that can build teams and recruit and, and bring in the right kind of folks. And so it was a good move, a really good move. Aflac was great to me and so was Principal. Um, but then my son and I opened up our own, uh, right. Chris, as you know, uh, we opened up our own financial services agency Chris runs it now. He's he's the driver. Uh, I do what I'm told these days. But <laughs> sure, Chris. <laughs> but I, also, I also have a radio show called Game Plan for Life, 
where I interview people just like we're doing today, have them tell their stories and capture the essence of the person. You know, what are the principles and practices and priorities that have helped make this, this person uh, successful? You're right. That's right. You're a fellow radio host as well. So yeah, we have that in common as well. I guess, I guess like what I'm doing is more of a podcast, but yeah. Um, I want, I'm going to ask you two questions and I, I've been asking all sorts of guests, these questions. And I, I just, I'm on a high horse, but I love the answers yeah. I get. So let me ask you these two, these two questions. The first question is, let me give you a couple of answers I received. I received uh, Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, Mike Tyson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Nick Saban, Bill Russell, Mm -hmm. uh, Serena Williams, Sandy Koufax, a lot, lot, of, lot of names there. Who's a living sports figure coach that you would love to interview or have a conversation with? Well, there's probably a lot of them. Um, my my high school idol, when, when I was playing high school, quarter, I was a quarterback, high school and college, but my idol was Johnny Unitas. And I did have a chance to meet Johnny. He came to Boise one year when I was a coach at Boise State, and we had a great, great visit, great time. Um, the other guy uh, that's, that's passed on is Tom Landry. Tom came to Boise also. We had a great uh, uh, day together. Lou Holtz has been here. I mean, there's so many that are just terrific. Um, coaches, people, you know, motivators, yeah, the whole bit. Um, you know, my next question was going to be, who's a deceased sports figure in history that you yeah. like to chat with? You mentioned Tom Landry. And uh, yeah. is John yeah. Unitas still with us? Is, is he? You know, I think he's passed on. I don't call yeah. me on that because I'm not exactly sure. But but uh, Tom Landry certainly uh, would, would be uh, right at the top of the list. And, of course, uh, Don James, even though I've had many conversations with him, why? He's always uh, a great guy to talk to and bounce things off of. If you wanted advice on something, why you knew you were going to get a straight answer out of him. Oh, I bet. I bet. Um, Paul Schneiderman, again, host of Sports Untold on Rainier Avenue Radio with uh, retired coach Skip Hall. So coach, do you, um, do you keep in touch with the uh, college football culture? And has it changed anyway since you retired back in 97? Well, it certainly has changed. You know, people ask me if the players have changed. No, the players are are still uh, about the same, although they're bigger, faster, stronger. That's the difference in the players. But this this whole culture that's going on now about pay, paying players and and all this stuff, I think this is what really kind of helped drive Chris Peterson out. Is that uh, you start paying players, you know, you lose your amateur status. Uh, you know, football, college football was meant to be an amateur, you know, game. And when you start paying people, it changes the whole complexity of it. I think it builds a division. You know, people, uh, if you're a coach and, and uh, you're or a player and you're making extra money on the side and I'm not, well, I'm, I'm going to think, well, why, why is he getting paid and not me? And, you know, my answer to that would simply be if they want to do more for the players, then do it for all the scholarship players. Give them all a little bit more rather than giving one or two, you know, paychecks and extra paychecks and then not the others. So, yeah, that's the kind of stuff that's that's going on. And I mentioned earlier about the texting and the Twitter stuff and you're constantly being on the, on the devices and it's, it doesn't leave much for a good home life. You know, I, you, 
you may have read my mind because my next question was going to I was going to ask you is to get your thoughts on the college pay issue that keeps coming mm -hmm. up and the Supreme U.S. Supreme Court's deciding cases on this and and I think you 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 kind of already answered that question. Are are, are you in favor of more of a scale back college pay system for athletes? Would that be a way to characterize it? Well, yeah, I, I don't like what they're proposing and, and singling out you know two or three players on a team and. And not the others. Like I say, my I'm, I'm for the I'm for the team. I'd like to see them all benefits somehow. But this business of one or two or three it depends on what program you're in. But um, I, I don't like it. I don't like it. I think it takes away from the amateur thing that college football is all about. If if there's more college pay proposals uh, in the horizon, and we'll have to see what happens. Do, do you think that, say, female rowers and track track players and baseball players, should they all make the same? Or how, how do you because football tends to be the big ticket at these universities. How, how would you quantify that, coach? Yeah. Well, I mean, give them if you're going to give anybody anything, give it all to all of them, not just one or two. Now, here's another real thing that sticks in my craw. So now high school players are leaving high school early so they can go to college and get paid, you know, beyond a scholarship, like right. they're, they're paying players. Well, you're taking a kid out of his senior year. He's going to miss out on a lot of good things that aren't just football or, or a sport. And, and I like to say, I, I don't like it. I, I think it's counterproductive. Your faith now, is I understand, a... I understand that, you know, the athletes are the ones that are bringing in millions of dollars in, into the programs. Absolutely. But yet let's, let's reward all of them, not just a few of them. You don't like the idea of like a high profile player being able to benefit on his or her name, image and likeness versus like the third string player that, that you don't like then. Yeah. I think it causes division. And, and I just, you know, they're in college for a few years. So let that college experience be a college amateur experience. They're going to get to the pros if they're good enough, and they're going to get their payday. But trying to hurry it up, so to speak, and then encouraging high school seniors to leave high school to jump into a college program, I don't like it. You know, I've had a couple of guests on, Coach, from different walks of life, and a couple of my guests including Ed Cunningham, played University of Washington. Another yeah, guest that, that endorsed absolutely. this is the uh, famous attorney, Alan Dershowitz. They both endorsed a workers' compensation program for injured athletes. Would you be in favor of something like that, where injured athletes could have lifelong protections? Yeah, yeah. I, I think, you know, if a player gives, gives his all and something happens, uh, they ought to be taken care of. Yeah, I, I think they, they certainly should be taken care of. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, it's interesting to hear all your insights. You actually were in the coaching profession. Some of us who have opinions never coach, so it's <laughs> it's good to get you know your actual first hand yeah. first hand take. Um, you know your 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 faith is a big part of your life. Um, do you feel there's more or less um, faith in college uh, athletic programs now versus uh, when uh, when you were still coaching? Yeah, I think I think it's it's uh, athletes are. Willing to share more now. I mean, I think there was a lot of the same faith, the same beliefs before, but now they're 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 more readily available to share their faith, and and I think that's the big difference. Is it's they're more visible. They're they're willing to speak and 
share their faith and how, what an important role that that plays in the big picture of things. And yeah, I just think it's their willingness to be more visible about it. And you made a point about social media a couple minutes ago that certainly can play a role in people just uh, being more open about all sorts of subjects. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's pros and cons to it, but people definitely can espouse their views more now in some ways. Yeah. 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 And you know, one thing about social media, I mean, I know there's, there's a lot of negative things too, but one positive thing is that it's allowed somebody like me that coached for 30 years of college football to maintain contact with players from 50, 60 years ago that normally you would never have an opportunity to do that except for social media. So there's, there is a real positive thing in that regard. I, I agree with you. That's a good point. It does, it does play a role in just being able to, to stay in touch with people a little better. Um, I, I agree with you. Um, something that's been coming up lately is the talk about expanding the PAC 12 conference. Do you have any general thoughts on that subject, uh, coach Hall? Well, you know, there's a lot of conferences talking about expansion and, you know, they're robbing Peter to pay Paul now. And, and you know, the big 12 uh, lost a couple of key players, Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC. And, you know, the, the thing that, that disturbs me probably more than anything is that we're setting up a, an elite system where the elite are going to get the good players. They're going to get the TV money. They're going to get all the things. And then the rest of the country is going to have to just kind of get what they take or take what they get. And uh, so it's, it's, it's a catch 22. I understand why they're doing it. Um, I think the PAC 12, um, if they can figure out what'll make things better for them, with the north south divisions and, and all that i mean when we were at washington in the beginning it was the pack eight you know it, 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 and then they added more and more and, and it turned out pretty good so um i think it, it all it depends upon where you want to end up what can you do to, to enhance your conference your standings your recognition uh, respect throughout the country because we're all, let's face it, everybody's fighting for some respect. And so they got to do what they got to do. Um, I don't think just throwing mud on the wall or throwing teams up there is, is the answer. I think it's got to fit, got to make sense. You think the Pac-12 to get back in football to the SEC level at some point? Are you confident the conference can rebound a bit or? Well, you know, the, the SEC is, is so far ahead of most people, uh, most conferences, it's going to be hard to catch them. But hopefully they can catch up somewhat. You know, they're not maybe going to get to that same elite level, but uh, they, they can improve, uh, you know, what they're doing, improve the status of their institutions and programs. And But, yeah, the SEC has definitely got to, got to leg up on everybody. Feels almost like uh, just one one notch below the NFL in some ways. Well, know, it but, is. Yeah. yeah, just take a look at how many players are drafted out of the SEC every year. You know, Alabama alone. I mean, my goodness. Sometimes their second team players get drafted. Right. I right. mean, that's going to tell you the story right there. Coach, got time for a couple more questions? You bet. Great. Absolutely. Paul Schneiderman, host of Sports Untold with uh, the 90th edition with with Coach Skip Hall. We got a couple more minutes here. Well, I want to ask you this, Coach. It's it's coming up a lot, and it's a controversial subject. But I I have you on. I like having fun picking your brain. Any, any just thoughts on the whole role of it situation in Washington State right now? 
You know, I don't really know that situation uh, other than what I read in the papers. Uh, yeah, you know, the whole nation is, is, is mystified by all this stuff, you know, about the, the pandemic and about the vaccinations and vax or non-vax or, you know, and I honestly believe it's, it's got to be an individual's decision and whatever motivates them or drives them. I mean, if it's a legitimate thing, why, you know, we got to respect that, I believe. Um, on the other hand, I know the, the importance of you know, keeping people safe and not spreading the virus and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's, it's a tough nut to crack. I mean, it's, I don't know what's going to happen there, but uh, I guess we'll find out. Tricky, tricky situation for sure. Very much, very much. Yeah, very tricky. And it, it's um, there's a lot, a lot, lot there. Well, what's in the future for you, uh, Coach Hall? Can you share with us a little bit what's in the? I know you're going to continue to promote your great book, but what else is in the yeah, future for you? Yeah. Well, grandkids, grandkids, I love them. I'll tell you, grandkids are, are a great joy. And our son Chris, they just have well, his, he turns five today. In fact, we're having a birthday dinner of. Chris's and my son's boy who right. turns five today but you know we try to go to all their games or all their school activities and so that's that's number one is, is taking care of the family families is is the key for us and you know I still get I still do a lot of speaking I do motivational speaking and business to businesses and and a lot of different places but but uh, really, uh, we're just enjoying our, our family, our grandkids. Just actually, just had a great grandchild born, which is kind of a shocker. Congratulations! Uh, well, thank Good. you. Yeah, Good. and then you start thinking about a great grandchild. I, I was just twenty-one yesterday. <laughs> right, right, right. I think of you as a, as an '80s coach in so many ways, Coach Hall. Yeah, but but uh, now you and your family have settled in Boise, Idaho. You must feel a real connection because you've you've worked in so many parts of the country you, you really have a soft spot for Boise huh yeah we do we do it's a place to live and raise a family and be a part of, of a family uh, it's a great place you know both our kids live here both very successful in what they do our daughter Susie is a, an interior designer and a lot of national recognition and Chris does a great job with the financial aspect of it and uh but yeah, but the grandkids are all from here. They've all been through the school systems. And like I said, we've been to every, every game you can think of and every school activity. And, and, but that's, that's, that's the fruit. I mean, that's, that's the reward, I think, of a lot of years of hard work and, of course, a lot of success along the way, too. But, but yeah, we, we feel very good about it. Um, our 12 years in Washington, in the book, I describe them as the Camelot years. Not so much the first two years, but from there on, we went to a bowl game every year, and it was really like Camelot. We just we loved it, loved the people there. Yeah, but as far as a place to live, boy, Boise is hard to beat. Boise is a nice community. Well, yeah. Coach Hall, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on uh, Sports Untold. And before I wrap it up today, why don't you share with the listeners again the, the website for your book? I want to I want to play a little role and get more people to read your book. Yeah, yeah, well. A simple, easy way is to go to Coach Em Up, you know, C-O-A-C-O-A-C-H-E-M-U-P book.com. Once you go there, there's a button that says order the book, or there's a lot of information on that site that people can get a, a capsule of what it's all about. But 
Yeah, that's the easiest way. The other way, of course, is to go to Amazon. You can order the book. And I was told today that we're number one on something, uh, new releases or Great. whatever. Great. So yeah, people are people are getting exposed to it. Uh, don't, it's only been out a few days, but yeah, we're uh, we're excited because I, my hope, the, the reason I wrote the book is to help change lives. And well, a again, a it's a great book. Way. Great book. And thank you so much for uh, stopping by today, Coach, and all the best. And you you handled yourself very well in the hot seat. So, well, <laughs> Paul, thank you. It's been a pleasure to be with you. Likewise. You take care. Thank you, Coach. Yeah.